0: That leaky faucet isn't going to fix itself, but it could be fixed by you. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Whether you're a homeowner or a renter, you've probably had the experience of having something break in your home. The oven stops heating up. The toilet won't flush or a light fixture malfunctions. Now, many of you may be handy and brave enough to make that trip to the hardware store to fix it, but for a lot of us, the prospect of home repair is intimidating. You need to have the right parts, tools, and of course, the know how. It can feel like a lot. Well, have no fear because today on the podcast, we have three guests who can help turn you into a DIY maestro. First up is Nancy Bennett. She's Education Manager for Rebuilding Exchange Chicago. They host workshops and classes focused on home improvement. And Tessa Vierk, Executive Director and Co-Founder of the Chicago Tool Library. Nancy kicked us off by giving us some background on Rebuilding Exchange.
1: Well, it's a it's a big nonprofit. Um, we started about 11 years ago, well, 2011, um, and we're a merger of two organizations, the Rebuilding Exchange in Chicago and the Evanston Rebuilding Warehouse in Evanston. And now um, we've grown to have two retail locations in Chicago and Evanston, and those both have workshops. Um, We have a workforce training program in deconstruction, Mm -hmm. teaching people how to dismantle homes so we can reuse the materials. And we also have the community workshops, which is what I do, and we have those in both locations as well. I
0: see. And Tessa, we had you on the show back in 2021. Remind us, though, the mission of the Tool Library,
2: Yeah. So, you know, there's all these wonderful organizations like Rebuilding Exchange that gives people the skills they need to use tools, and we kind of are that next step of the process. Our nonprofit is a library, um, as hinted by our name, the Chicago Tool Library, but instead of books, we have all kinds of tools to help you accomplish your projects um, that you're able to borrow and take home.
0: How are things going? I mean, have there been any developments over the last couple of years?
2: Big time, yeah. We actually relocated to a much, much larger space this past winter. Oh, great. Uh, we are now in West Garfield Park, and we have about 5,000 more tools than we did last time we spoke, and we're super excited. We also now offer memberships to the Tool Library to organizations. So oh,
0: that's
2: uh, block huge. clubs, other nonprofits, churches can also get memberships to the Chicago Tool Library now. That's
0: wonderful. So I, I want to hear from both of you about Let's start here, your journey into DIY, right? How did you learn how to fix things, Nancy?
1: Well, what I've been doing really is picking up on from our wonderful instructors, um, I help out in the classes, and that's why I've learned a lot of what I'm doing. I've been reusing and kind of upcycling for a long time, but really getting into the tools and learning the repair is something that I've done, fortunately, through my work.
0: Yeah. Can I just tell you how proud I am of my uh, handy skills two weeks ago, fixing a toilet in yeah. the house? Yeah. Yeah. What'd you do? Went to the
1: store, you know, uh-huh. bought the
0: thingy. The thingy? <laughs> I don't know what that, it's called. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, all it cost me was like $7, and I... You know, lifted the tank and put in. The watched thingy. a YouTube video real quick.
1: Uh huh. Put it in
0: and it flushes.
1: Yeah, YouTube is a really popular thing. I was so thing, proud, and yeah. it's wonderful. But sometimes people want to get have an instructor walk them through it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, what about you? Um, what's your journey into DIY, Tessa? Uh,
2: you know, I grew up with parents who were willing to try things. So I've always been pretty curious and willing to try. But definitely, having access to the tool library takes it to a whole new level when. You don't have to buy or own all the tools. I've definitely taken on bigger projects. Like when my basement flooded, like everybody else's in July, I ripped up my own carpet and removed a bunch of my own drywall and things that I maybe never would have tried if I uh, didn't have the tool library. Yeah.
0: Well, let's pivot to to home improvement then and and talk more about that. So for folks who don't think of themselves as handy, Nancy, but they do want to be able to repair things in their home, what would you say is the easiest place to start? Now, I began with a toilet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which I don't know mm-hmm. if that's the best place to begin. Uh, but in the moment, I felt like that would be an easy fix. I watched the YouTube videos in advance, and I was like, okay, if that's the only thing I've got to do, let me go over to Menards and, you know, right. pick up a, uh, this thingy that I still can't remember the name of it, and, and that was my journey. But
1: Yeah, and that's a great place to start because you're not really going to hurt yourself, fixing a toilet. True. Um, one of the things that I first got involved with is – Going one of our classes, how to rewire a light fixture. Ooh, now, see, you know, electrical yeah, is scary. It is. But if you, going through the class, I realize it's not that difficult um, to do rewiring a lamp or something like that. And if you're sticking to your basic home wiring, it's really empowering to figure out how to do that on your own.
0: Yeah. Is it a matter of just getting to know your breaker in the home?
1: No, no. It really is understanding what, um, where to put the wires? How to thread them through? How to replace your switch or maybe um, a plug? Mm-hmm. And it's it's
0: just not. that I think tough. people might be just scared of safety when it sure. comes to anything you know that has to do with electricity issues.
1: Sure, sure. And you want to make sure that all of your power is off. <laughs> you know, if you're doing anything that's that's hardwired into the home. But if you're doing a lamp or something like that, you know, that's that's easier.
0: Yeah, for sure. What about you, Tessa? Any thoughts on easy places for newbies to to begin
2: i mean i was gonna say the same thing about light fixtures that that is one of the most exciting easy ones when you get it your your whole world opens up when you realize you could change any light fixture you want but you know something like painting a lot of people believe it or not haven't um you know done a painting project and for me that's that's a really fun one to get people started on because it can make a big impact in your home if you're painting a dresser or a wall or a piece of furniture that you've been frustrated with that um and that's not a project that can get expensive quickly if you don't have the right tools, but that's, that's always an easy one for beginners.
0: For sure, and that's a big barrier for some people as well, right, is not having the right tools that they need, which is where a place like yours, the tool library, can come in. So are, are there tools that you think every household should have, though?
2: You know, hand hand tools, definitely. You don't want to have to make a trip all the way to the tool library to borrow a screwdriver or something. But if you don't want to own your own you know, if you're not using a stud finder or a power drill all the time or you're not ready to invest, then uh, some of those tools that some people consider very basic and important to have um, maybe isn't actually true for everybody. So it really just depends on your lifestyle. But I would say basic hand tools, Allen wrenches and screwdrivers and a hammer are great for everyone.
3: Yeah.
0: Okay. I remember now, Nancy, it's the flapper valve. (laughs) That's what I fixed. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, to, to that end, I mean, what are the classes uh, tell us more about the classes at the Rebuilding Exchange that you offer for beginners as well as you know advanced folks.
1: Sure, sure. Um, most of the people that come to our classes are beginners. So we have basically three buckets. Um, one is woodworking, always with reclaimed wood because we're all about reuse. One is home improvement, and then one is around creative reuse. So taking things that we get donated um, and turning them into something that wasn't their original intention, like taking tiles and turning them into mosaics. Um, In our home improvement, we're pretty excited because we're just launching our fall workshop series um, today. And in our home improvement, we're expanding those to three session classes, and one is on, on electrical. So we're going to teach people how to... Connect your switches and change out your light fixtures and, and actually building a, a wall, a test wall, so you can see what it looks like mm-hmm. inside the wall. And then plumbing, three sessions in plumbing, where we're going to cover the toilet replacement as well as... You um, can have me teach it. I can have you teach it. You could be a TA. We <laughs> have volunteers at TA. Um, now you know what you're doing. We will be doing... Uh, Vanities, like how to install a vanity, and kitchen kitchen plumbing as well. And then in addition to that, we've got a, a great HVAC instructor who's going to talk about how can you maintain your own air conditioners and heating systems so you don't have to call out a professional to do that.
0: Yeah. And for the person listening to us now who's still not convinced, let's get back to the core of why we're even having this discussion. I mean, why do you think that people in general should learn to fix things, Nancy?
1: Well, first of all, it's a tremendous cost savings to not have to bring out a professional. But also, it's it's wonderfully empowering to know that you can do these things on your own. And And we really encourage people to do repairs and, and work with reclaimed materials so that we're keeping things out of the landfill.
0: Tessa, theoretically, a renter's landlord, um, let's talk about renters here in Chicago, right? A, a renter's landlord is actually the one who's supposed to be fixing things in the property. But- not every landlord is very responsive. Let's let's be real. So do you think that renters should take repairs into their own hands if they can?
2: I think that's a tough one. You know, it's definitely everybody should uh, you know, repair with caution even if you're a homeowner. Um but if you are a renter who feels like it's a straightforward problem, you need to tighten something to for a leaky sink or um you know, something small, I think you should definitely do your research and think about giving it a try yourself. But of course, ideally, you have your landlord do it or at least you check with your landlord first before making any serious uh, repairs. Yeah.
0: Do you help with things like washer and dryer repairs, Nancy? No, we don't do appliance repairs um, right now. That's good to know. Although we have appliances. Well, another cool thing about Rebuilding Exchange, though, is you you do some creative reuse courses Mm -hmm. as well. Talk about that.
1: Yeah, we have um, various creative reuse classes. Some of them are more drop-in kind of family events where we invite people to come in and make things out of some materials that we have. We do something also quarterly called a single scraptacular where we invite area singles to come in and create, again, with some of the things that, you know, tile, um, hardware, wood pieces – and, yeah, it's a great way to so meet So you're making love
0: connections at the
1: Rebuilding uh, Exchange? Love connections, maybe, or friendship connections. Okay. You know, a lot of people have been stuck inside, and they're, they're looking forward to making new friends and just meeting other people who like to make things.
0: Yeah, but the workforce training uh, that you mentioned, I mean,
1: those programs, those are pretty great. They are they're fantastic we've got the deconstruction, like I said, where um, people hire our trainees yeah. to come and deconstruct everything from your kitchen to your entire house and so If you good. do deconstruction, you can either reuse or recycle upwards of ninety five percent of your home, and if you tear it down that's one hundred percent goes in the landfill, so we have that, and we also have a pre apprentice program where we're preparing people for careers in the construction trades well, that's
0: Excellent. Uh, What do folks need to know, Tessa, if if they do want to come and check out some tools from the library? What's the process?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you can sign up to become a member of the Chicago Tool Library on our website, chicagotoollibrary.org. We want it to be easy for folks to join the library, so it's a super short sign-up process. If you're over 18 and you live in Chicago, you can join the Chicago Tool Library. Um, We have one-year memberships, and they are pay what you want. So we really, really want to make it accessible for people to get the tools they need
1: love that. And how can folks sign up for your courses, Nancy? They can go on our website at rebuildingexchange.org slash workshops, and there we should see the new calendar up right now. Any future events that
0: we should know about that are happening?
1: Oh, um, yeah. Well, we'll do a single Scraptacular before Halloween. Okay. Um, and then we're working on a film screening, actually, at our Evanston location, a um, documentary about someone who tricked out an, an old, box truck and turn it into a tiny home using all reclaimed materials. So that's going to be fun. That's super fun. Tessa, anything that you want to
0: promote coming up at the tool library?
2: Yeah. So this uh, August 26th, Saturday, we have a tool sale, very rare for us that we actually give tools um, Mm -hmm. to keep. So that's an exciting one. And we also have a repair fair is a super popular event. We're going to bring it back once a month and our next one is September 16th and folks can bring their broken items and our volunteers will help you fix them. So both really exciting events we're looking forward to.
0: I'm feeling so empowered already. Tessa Vierick is executive director and co-founder of Chicago Tool Library and Nancy Bennett is education manager for Rebuilding Exchange. Thank you both. Now that we've covered the home, what about your car? If you want to learn how to change your oil or want to dive into more advanced projects, Gearhead Workspace might be your place. Molly Hyen is the executive director and co-founder and joined us to share all the workspace has to offer.
3: So it's a do-it-yourself auto shop. We provide all the tools, um, lifts, and we also have coaching and classes. So I like to say you can do anything from an oil change to an engine swap. I love it. Um, Anything mechanical.
0: And you recently announced that you're transitioning
3: uh, to being a nonprofit. Correct. Talk about that um, switch. I mean, we built it for the community. And so, as a nonprofit, it can be community run, which I, it's going to be great. Um, we already have a board of directors set, and it's comprised of my husband and I, the founders, and some of our most active members. Yeah. Um, and the people who are already doing some of the coaching. Mm-hmm. So, they already have wonderful ideas. Of- so, you got
0: repeat. Customers. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So you all have you've stated that uh, part of
0: the switch is uh, putting resources towards some workforce training. Mm -hmm. So talk to us more about what that would look like.
3: Sure. We've been um, talking with a few different organizations that um, do apprenticeship programs Mm -hmm. to teach students how to one of them rebuilds uh, muscle cars. One does vintage race cars. And they're finding that students are coming to them ready to work, but maybe they haven't ever really held a wrench before and they need some of that kind of prerequisite training, which our classes already teach. Yeah. Um, okay. We have what we call an MBA program where we go through how to inspect a car, oil change, brake change, um, all of those basic things. So we can adjust our programming to feed into theirs. I see. And and I'm thinking of, you know, I've got kids in, in high school
0: and, and I know that one's friend is taking like an intro to auto mechanics class at their school. I mean, do lots of high schools offer like a, an auto shop class here
3: in the city? Are you aware? I think it's kind of a dying trend. Oh. Yeah. So, what do you think about that? I don't think it's good. Um, yeah. I, I really should have taken auto shop in, in high school. I wanted to, but I was kind of nervous because I was the only girl who would be in but now, I mean, you're look what you're doing now, right? Yeah, now I tear cars apart. It's
0: <laughs> well, how did you get there? How did you get from being nervous to even take an auto shop class to ripping cars apart?
3: Uh, my husband mostly taught me because I always had that interest. And then um, we started taking our car to the racetrack and wanted to just do our own work on it because you need a lot of extra maintenance throughout the year. It can get very pricey mm-hmm. on simple things that we can do ourselves. So he taught me how.
0: Yeah, we had auto shop and and wood shop at my school, but this was also Toronto. So mm. We had it was it was widespread. It was more widespread back then. So paint me a picture of what the workspace um, at Gearhead looks like, because I'm I'm imagining this classic mechanic's garage. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's a full. People who don't know what we are will come in on the street, usually on Sundays, looking for someone to fix their car poking for Poking their head in? <laughs> yeah. Um, we don't fix cars for other people, but we are set up exactly like any regular mechanic shop.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, talk about the, the classes that you offer. Is it for people
3: of any skill level? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, one of our members, one of the new board members, is working on a Ph.D. program. So he can do some more advanced classes than we've been offering too. I love that what I'm thinking about too is that
0: a problem that I think comes up for a lot of car owners especially ones who live here in the city they feel like they don't have enough space to Mm -hmm. work on a car like where am I going to do it I can't do it here in the parking lot at my apartment building my condo for instance right so if someone does want to do something as simple as changing their brake pads or changing their oil is it do they just show up to your space?
3: Um, I like it if they make a reservation first just to make sure that we have the space for them and if they're going to need any extra assistance, that, that will be available. Okay. Um, you can try to just come in. We get busier on the weekends, so can't guarantee that we'll I have can a space. I <laughs> imagine a Saturday
0: morning must be nuts. Can be. At GearHead. It <laughs> can be. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the cool projects that the regular members of your space are up to right now?
3: One of our friends is doing an EV conversion on his BRZ. So... That's he's
0: doing a what now? Oh, electric vehicle conversion mm-hmm. on which car?
3: A BRZ. What it's is a that? Subaru? It's a little Subaru sports car. Um, he's a drift instructor, so he teaches drift racing, and that's what he always did with oh. that car. Um, and then he's like, I think I'll make this electric, and so he's. <laughs> working on turning it into that, and then he's going to take it drifting again.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. How long is that going to take? I have no idea. An EV conversion. <laughs> you make it sound so easy. Like, oh yeah, he's coming on uh, Saturday at two, doing yeah, a little quick not,
3: EV conversion. Yeah,
0: not not easy at all. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but he's determined. It sounds like he's determined. Yeah. Oh and my gosh. What else? He he can figure those skills out. Um, my husband and I are uh, doing an LS swap on our Cayman, so we're putting a Corvette engine into a Porsche. Is that challenging? Yes. (laughs) It's taking far longer than it was supposed to. And why are you putting a
0: Corvette engine in there? Is it more powerful?
3: Um, It is going to be a little more powerful. It's going to be easier to work on. And it originally was going to be less expensive than just replacing the Porsche engine. (laughs) I think now the amount of time that it's taking that's out the window. How long have you been at it? A few years, but we also moved the shop. Years? We moved the shop in the middle of it, so other things have had to take um, priority. I see. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah.
0: So for, for someone who's just starting out, I mean, what would you say are some good car repair projects to start with?
3: To start with, yeah. absolutely. Like oil change, brakes. Mm-hmm. Those are really nice basic things to start with. Um, and some people don't want to do much more than that. Others will start learning more about suspension work, Um Doing things like spark plugs are usually pretty straightforward. Spark too. plugs, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good one.
0: Um, do you get a lot of women coming in?
3: hmm Yeah. It's not quite 50-50, but there's definitely a number of us. Yeah. How <laughs> are you getting the word out that you exist? Um, we started by networking with car clubs. That seemed kind of like the easiest low-hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it is very difficult to get the word out to... You know, alley mechanics, people who aren't already socially connected um, in the ways that the car clubs are. I see. Um, So that's been a bit more difficult. Um, And, of course, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, Hosting the classes has actually helped, too, because we can post those on sites like Dabble or Meetup. um, And then we can get the word out through those channels, too.
0: Oh, that's great. Well, so I'm thinking of, you, you just talked about, like, spark plugs and brake pads and changing the oil. I mean, how much money am I realistically saving by doing that stuff myself?
3: It completely depends on you and your car. Um, we had a Lamborghini. He saved quite a few hundred dollars by doing his own oil change. Um, but Yeah, because if he's
0: taken it back into Lamborghini itself, I mean, just to have them look at the car is...
3: automatically a cost. Just to look at their door is a a cost. (laughs) Um, But then, you know, somebody who's maybe working on a Honda Civic, but they've never done an oil change before, it might take them a little bit longer because they're learning. So they might not save money, at least up front. um, Yeah. But they'll be learning. And then, you know, afterwards, they'll get faster and and they could save money.
0: Yeah. And I'm thinking of folks with newer cars, too, right? It, it, It can feel very daunting to know where to even start repair. Some of those cars, you don't even want to touch the wrong button, for instance, right? Because there's so much sensors and computers running in there.
3: And plastic coverings over the engine. And plastic
0: (laughs) coverings over the engine. Yeah. So I didn't even think of that. Does it
3: make it more difficult then for the average person to repair their car? I don't think so. It's it's just maybe a little more time consuming usually because you have to remove so many panels (laughs) in order to get to the engine, which... Works pretty much the same way it always has. Yeah. Well, tell us what's next for GearHead Workspace. Um, well, we're working on the um, changeover to a uh, nonprofit. We have a couple classes coming up. Um, sep- wait, what is this? August 28th.
0: The summer's flying by. I know.
3: August 28th, okay. we're doing an oil change class. And then September 11th, we're working with a group called DIY Girl, and we're going to do a catalytic converter um, Kind of lock class. It's called cat strap. And so we're going to show how to install that.
0: Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, that was Molly Hyan, who's executive director and co founder of Gearhead Workspace in Bridgeport. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have you noticed that things seem like they're getting harder to repair? Think of replacing your battery in your iPhone, for example. It's not simple. You need a special heat gun just to undo the glue. And even if you happen to have one, you're running a big risk doing it yourself. But a group of advocates has taken notice of the trend and has been working for years to push companies to make products fixable. Joining us now is Kyle Weens, founder and CEO of iFixit, which is a website focused on repair guides that's been advocating for what's known as the right to repair. First, Kyle told us about the inspiration behind iFixit.
4: Well, I was trying to fix my laptop myself, and I was Googling for how to find how to fix it, how to just open it, <laughs> and I couldn't find the information. And so I figured, well, once I've done the hard work of opening it up and figuring out how how you know exactly where all the screws go, uh, maybe I could document that and share that for the next person.
0: I see. Um, for folks who are unfamiliar with what's been dubbed the right to repair movement, what's the overview there of the mission?
4: Yeah, so rate right to repair is the idea that if you own it, you ought to be able to fix it. And if uh, th- there shouldn't be obstacles in the way. So it used to be if you bought things you know, 34 years ago, uh, they came with the repair information. Maybe they came with a schematic. You could buy parts from the company. You could use tools that you bought at the hardware store. It was straightforward and easy to fix things. Mm-hmm. These days, there's lots of barriers that have been thrown up uh, in the way. And so what we've been doing at iFixit is, is uh, you know, systematically eliminating those barriers by reproducing repair information, finding the tools, getting them available online. Uh, and right to repair is is a, a legal movement where we're saying, well, maybe maybe we also should have laws to protect our ability to tinker. So
0: when you say there are barriers in the way, what are you talking about exactly?
4: Yeah, so it turned out the service manual I was looking for for my laptop, it existed, uh, and Apple had sent a legal threat to the websites that hosted it saying that's our copyrighted information. We don't want anyone to know how to fix things. Uh, during COVID, we found that hospitals couldn't get access to the service manuals they needed for ventilators, and so we scoured the world for ventilator service manuals and put them online. Those are the kinds of barriers. Sometimes it's sometimes it's it's in supposedly intellectual property barriers. Sometimes it's it's lack of availability of parts, uh, and and so Right to Repair is a is, is a set of laws that's kind of sweeping the nation where it's requirements that manufacturers, if you're going to sell an expensive product, you have to make uh, the ability to fix it available to both consumers and local repair shops.
0: I see. I mean, in your mind, Kyle, when was it that we started to see items like electronics become more difficult for just a regular person to fix?
4: Yeah, the trend started in the 80s. You started to see the glimmerings of it. It used to be there were TV repair shops in every neighborhood in the country. Uh, And with the introduction of the VCR, it got a little more complicated. And then in the 90s, companies just stopped sharing parts and information with the TV repair shops. Uh, And that drove the TV repair shops in the country out of business. Uh, we used to have camera repair shops and camera stores in every neighborhood in the country, and those have systematically been pushed out of business. Several years ago, Nikon and Canon decided they were just going to stop selling parts to local camera stores. And and that's how you, you, you have this sort of diminishing of Main Street, where you get these multinational corporations that strangle local companies.
0: I see. And, and you've mentioned already some of the the common arguments that you hear from from companies who make these products. What is your response to that?
4: But there's no fundamental reason why. I mean, the, the, the intellectual property reasons that they come up with are just preposterous. Uh, they'll say, oh, you know, you can't fix things because if people had repair information, then our competitors in China would copy the products. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. There's nothing in a repair manual that you can't learn just from taking the product apart. Uh, we've had uh, Apple told legislators in one state capital that if people can fix their iPhones, that they would they would set their houses on fire. Uh, and it's just it's it's categorically untrue. These things can be perfectly safe to work on. Mm. It's certainly vastly easier to work on an iPhone than it is to work on a car. And I think all of us can work on our cars safely just fine.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, one thing I love about your website when I was checking it out, Kyle, is uh, you give you give scores to, to products and it's based on their repairability. Talk to us more about how you make those assessments.
4: Yeah, so we uh, we just start by taking things apart. You know, we, we flip it over, we look for the screws, we start start pulling it open. And then the score at the end of the day, it's one to 10. And it's just like, how easy is this going to be to fix? If you buy, let, let's say you go to Walmart and you're gonna buy a toaster and you have a choice between a $20 toaster and a $30 toaster. Which one is going to last longer? There's absolutely no way to know. Uh, and it's probably not necessarily the more expensive toaster. You just don't know. The real answer is whichever one you can go and buy a replacement heating element for when it fails, a replacement spring for the, for the, the pop-up element. Yeah. Uh, and and that it doesn't say that on the box, right? So, so I'm constantly, before I buy something, I'll Google online and I'll, I'll, I'll look and see, like, hey, can I get spare parts for this? If I can, cool, maybe this thing will last past the first tiny little part that breaks. And so that's what the repairability score is about, is let's let's encapsulate that research into a number. So when you're going to buy something, you don't have to think about it. You can say, oh, it's got a repair score of nine. Cool. I'll get that one.
0: We've got about 30 seconds left here, Kyle. I mean, in your dream world, I'm curious, what would the end game of a right-to-repair world look like to you?
4: Well, the world I can imagine is one where the things that we have last, where if you spend money on something, it's not going to last just for a few years. Refrigerators only last six, seven years now. They used to last 20 or 30 years. We need to get back to that world where we're not just throwing money in a pit and on this treadmill of having to buy new things all the time. We should be able to fix the things that we have and either fix it ourselves or employ people in our community who can maintain them for us.
0: That was Kyle Ween, CEO of iFixit. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This episode of Reset was produced by Andrew Merriweather, who edited the episode along with Linnea Dominic. If you're subscribed to the Reset podcast, first off, we appreciate you. And we'd also appreciate it if you'd share our show with a friend. Personal recommendations are still the best way to support our podcast. That'll do it for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you tomorrow.